Time for seafood news. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. The rocky coast of Maine is some... You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. The rocky coast of Maine is home to one of the most iconic and sustainable fisheries in the world. With 5,600 independent lobstermen for multi-generational families, the Maine lobster industry is committed to bringing sustainably harvest lobster from trap to table. To learn more about the industry's long history of sustainability, visit lobsterformaine.com. I'm news assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm Erner Barry seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, Starkist was sentenced to pay a maximum criminal fine of $100 million for its role in a canned tuna price-fixing conspiracy. The company was also sentenced to a 13-month term of probation. Starkist was the final corporate defendant in the price-fixing lawsuit as it attempted to lower the fine amount in June, arguing that it would be difficult for the company to pay. District Judge Edward M. Chen found that Starkist had not proven that its financial situation justified a smaller fine, and the antitrust division argued that Starkist had enough financial resources to pay the maximum penalty. In other news, the Department of Justice has approved the pending merger of Clipper Seafoods and Blue North following a request for an antitrust review from the Bristol Bay Native Corp. Clipper Seafoods operates six vessels with 20% of the longline Pacific Cod quota, and Blue North operates five vessels with 17.5% of the total allowable catch, including fishing vessel Blue North the modern high-tech vessel launched in 2016. Once the merger is complete, Bristol Bay Native Corp. will purchase an estimated 75% of the combined company. This will be the first BBNC venture in seafood. The company is an investment vehicle with $1.7 billion in revenue, operating in oil and gas, government services, construction, and tourism. It was founded in 1971 under the Alaska Native Land Claim Settlement Act. As the prospect of buying both longline cod companies came up, BBNC wanted to make sure that an antitrust review would not be triggered and asked the DOJ for an advisory opinion. Even though the new company, to be called Blue North Clipper, will hold 37% of the quota and currently manages another 11% of the quota for the four prowl vessels, the antitrust review felt that customers would not see an anti-competitive impact because the Pacific cod is only a small part of the global cod supply and customers have ready alternatives if needed. Next up, Russia is ready to implement its plans to double its revenue from fish and seafood exports over the next four to five years, according to recent statements made by senior officials of the Russian Ministry of Agriculture and Industry Analysts. Total revenue of Russian fish exports is estimated at $4 billion U.S. billion. However, according to state plans, these figures should reach $8 billion by 2023. One of the ways Russia plans to boost exports is by increasing the volumes of fish processing in the country. The Russian government announced that it will provide additional support for fish processors who export their products abroad, including special amendments to the tax code. According to the latest reports from Russia's Federal Agency for Fishery, about 80% of fish are still exported out of Russia in the form of raw materials, in an untreated form which leads to generally low prices for it in the global markets. Now, those figures are slightly better than those observed in Russia at the beginning of the 2000s when almost 100% of fish exports were unprocessed, mostly in frozen form. Improvements made in recent years are mainly due to the development of both onboard and coastal processing in the country. New large-scale processing facilities, primarily in the Far East and northern regions of the country, have made implementations of the plan possible. Meanwhile, in a message from Assistant Administrator Chris Oliver, NOAA announced their disappointment in the Maine Lobstermen's Association due to their decision to back out of agreement with the Atlantic Large Whale Take Reduction Team. As we discussed this week, the agreement stated that the MLA would have to commit to regional measures to reduce its risk of right whale injuries and deaths. 
NOAA said the MLA presented information to suggest that the reduction target of 60% was higher than necessary. The MLA also highlighted the risks of entanglements posed by other fisheries in the region. NOAA said they were reviewing the letter as well as further analysis of the data. It will work with the MLA to clarify any concerns or questions. NOAA said that the agreement was near consensus and members of the Maine caucus have stated a willingness to continue to work with the agency, the take reduction team, the state of Maine, and their members to identify measures that address the risks that the Maine lobster fishery poses to right whales. And finally, in its first ever honors program, the Seafood Nutrition Partnership will honor five individuals who have, quote, gone above and beyond to support the SNP mission inspiring a healthier America with exceptional outreach and impact in raising awareness about the essential nutritional benefits of eating seafood. The inaugural honorees are Laurel Bryant of NOAA Fisheries, Anessa Chumbly, registered dietitian and TV host, Jack Kilgore, retired president of Rich Products Consumer Brands Division, Judson Reese of Gorton Seafood, and Detlef Schrem a former NBA All-Star. The five will be recognized at the SNP Honors Gala on Monday, September 16th in Washington, D.C., and the following day at SNP's State of the Science Symposium for their efforts to connect seafood and its healthy benefits in consumers' minds. Honorable mentions go to Lauren Castiglione of Erner Barry and Ryan Doyle and Amanda Buckle of (laughs) (laughs) SeafoodNews.com. And now it's time for an interview with lobsterman Sonny Beal. Ryan and I sat down with Sonny to chat everything Maine lobster, including his impressive family history in the industry. Let's take a listen. Hi, Sonny. Thanks for joining us on the Seafood News Podcast. And Sonny, I know you've had decades of experience working in the Maine lobster industry, uh, but after doing some research, I came across a story saying that the Beale family has had lobstering experience since the 1700s. That's centuries. Can you tell us more about your family history and and the lobster industry? Well, uh, I live on an island um, in Southeast Maine called Beale's Island, Um, and it was founded by one of my great ancestors, man Warren Beale, Um, and they've been lobstering lobstering here since they were, you know, uh, pretty much founded um, since, you know, the early 1700s. It's, it's, uh, it's been a tradition here for a long time. And and this industry is full of family businesses just like your yourself and, and the, your family throughout all these years. And how has that impacted Maine Lobster and, and the industry as a whole? Um, well, as far as the Maine Lobster goes, I mean, it's really – um, made it grow over the years. You know, the population of lobsters um, has grown a lot from the from the sustainability measures that um, the the guys before us were were using and put in place. Um, and then, you know, as far as community, you know, any any seaside port in Maine um, is just riddled with with lobster boats and lobster fishermen, and the and the entire communities um, thrive on the lobster industry itself. So, Sunny, National Lobster Day is right around the corner on September 25th. Will you be on the boat celebrating, and what do you have in store? Any plans? Um, I'm sure I'll be working, but um, <laughs> I will definitely be bringing lobster home to have the supper. And, Sunny, we asked Chef Matt Gein in our last interview what his favorite way to prepare lobster was. Uh, what's your take? Oh, boy. Well, I don't think there's any really bad way to prepare a lobster. <laughs> Um, probably one of my one of my favorite dishes is lo- lobster alfredo probably. Mm. Um, but you know it's it's pretty hard to beat lobster right out of the shell with with, with drawn butter and, and eat it like that way. 
And then shifting gears here a little bit, Sonny, I guess I know you mentioned you'd probably be working that day. Can you uh, summarize your days in the boat, what your day's like? You know, when you, what are you doing when you're waking up and then kind of break through uh, your day for us? Yeah, um, I usually get up about 3.30 in the morning. Um, you know, make my make my lunch for the day, my, my coffee, head out the door. We usually, I'll, I'll meet my stern man at the wharf at um, 4.30. Um, we'll row out. Uh, we have our boats on, on moorings. Um, so we'll row out um, in a little skip we use to get to the boat. Fly the boat up, and away we go. Um, usually, you know, well, from this time of year on, you know, uh, end of end of August on, it's it's dark at that time. So we have lights on the boat, snap the lights on, and, and take off. And we'll you typically sail for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. You know, depends on how far out we're, we're going for the day. Um, and I have uh, all my gear set up in trawls, which are uh, 18 traps all tied together one after the other, and they have a buoy on each end. Um, so we'll haul the haul the traps up, haul you know haul the buoy in, haul the traps up one by one, stack them on the boat, and then turn around and set them all out one by one. And we'll we'll do this uh, 20 22 times a day. I have I have uh, 44 trawls, and we haul 22 a day. So it's wow. it's um, Every, you know, it's, it's 400 traps a day. We're allowed to have 800 traps um, for, the, for the limit as, you know, individual fishermen. So we haul 400 a day. That sounds and, like a... Um, when we get, get all done, well, it's it's quite a day. It's, <laughs> um, when we get all done, we get, you know, get the boat cleaned up and then sail back in and, and go to the dock. And we'll we'll get our bait um, right there at the dock and we'll sell our lobsters and fuel, fuel up our boats and... Put it back on the hook and go home and wait for the next day. And Sonny, how long would that? How, when do you usually, you know, wrap up your day? How many hours is that typically? Um, well, it depends. You know, it depends on the season. The late, later on in the fall, um, we're catching more lobsters. The weather's a little bit worse, so it takes a little bit longer. But um, you know, usually, you know, a ten, eight, eight to ten hours um, around this time of year. And then when it gets into October, November, you know, you're looking at twelve, fourteen hours. On average, probably. Wow. So, a buzzword for seafood, for the seafood industry and food in general, is sustainability. What methods do you and other lobstermen employ to ensure the fishery continues to thrive? Well, the sustainability we have in our lobster industry really is is quite unique um, in that it was brought on by the lobster fishermen, not by. Um, government rules or anything like that. The, the fishermen um, a long time ago actually petitioned the state to make laws um, as far as denotching females, um, which is uh, egg-bearing egg females, ones that are pregnant. Um, we, we cut a, a V-shaped notch in one of the flippers, one of the designated flippers, um, and if that, you know, then rendering it um, illegal to possess or to sell. Um, we catch them all day, every day. You, you, it's really amazing how many uh, notch females there are. And even if they don't have notches, uh, I mean, even if they don't have eggs, rather, um, we'll re-notch ones. And even if they, if they don't have eggs, they do have a notch, you still can't keep them as well because it just shows that they're a, a proven breeder. Um, also, one of the one of the um, things that they did a long time ago was, was to make a, a lobster measure um, to let the juveniles live. 
they, you know, came to the realization that these big lobsters, big males and females, only breed with each other, and the females, I mean, reproduce millions of eggs underneath their tail. Um, so they reproduce a lot, you know, they can produce a lot more eggs than a, than a smaller lobster. So what they did is they um, made a lobster measure that went from through, well, it's, it's now, the measure um, has changed some over the years, but now it's three and a quarter inches from the eye socket to the back of the carapace and up to five inches. So it's kind of a slot that we're filling, so anything under three and a quarter inches long or anything over five inches long is illegal to keep. Um, and it's really helped the population as far as keeping a good cycle of good population of, of juvenile lobsters to be coming up through to, to be legal and also keeping the, the rootstock, what we call the oversized lobsters, the big ones that, that really reproduce a lot of, a lot of lobsters. So it's, it's really driven the lobster population to where it is now. And that's why, uh, we're having record hauls, record years as far as landings and pounds uh that's that's all to do with that wow and i love that you said that some of these measures were put in place by the lobstermen themselves and not you know an outside government uh mandate or something like that um and finally let's talk new shell versus hard shell um can you tell us what the difference is there and do you have a preference um, well, the difference between a new shell and a and a old shell is, you know, just as, as it sounds. Um, old shell is the it's a harder shell. It's, it's um, the meat is um, a little more bland, I think. Um, and then what happens is like uh, you know, like a snake sheds its skin, blood sheds its shell, and um, the the shells are very soft and they come out. They're almost like paper after they shed, um, and then they actually eat their old shell to get the nutrients out of it, and they'll ingest water into their, into their bodies, into their claws, into their tail, into their body, and stuff, make it swell out as it hardens. So then, you know, once it hardens, then, then they're all, all set to go. Um, and a lot of people say that new shell lobsters don't have as much meat in them as, as old shell lobsters, but... I like to say that they just have bigger shells because they have the same amount of meat. They just have bigger shells, and they actually, you know, will, will grow. The meat will will grow just like your muscle. It has room to grow, so it will it will grow uh, in the lobsters and ages. Um, they usually shed, you know, at least at least once a year, sometimes twice. The, the smaller juvenile lobsters that are really really tiny will shed several times a year as they grow. Um, and as far as difference between the old shell and new shell as far as what you eat i will take a new shell hands down any day of the week um it's, it's the, the lobster is much more sweeter it's uh just that real salty ocean flavor um from ingesting the water into its into its body to make it fluff up and harden up um it's easy they're easy to pick and they just all around taste better and, and, and Absolutely delicious. My fa- probably my favorite food of all time is a new shell lobster. Very nice. Awesome. Well, Sonny, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much for having me. A pleasure to find as well.
We would like to thank Sunny Beal for taking the time to speak with us. Well, that about does it for us. Once again, this podcast was brought to you by Maine Lobster. Learn more about the history and sustainability of Maine lobster industry at lobsterformaine.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.